All right. Beginning the message this week. That's enough housekeeping. On to the Word of God. And we'll be bringing music back, um, I believe, next week. Uh, we were going to try this week, but a few things needed to happen that didn't. Namely, my voice wasn't ready yet. So uh, I've been having a little laryngitis or, or some, some, a little bit of scratchy. And uh, we, weren't, we were not going to do it quite this week, but we're going to bring some music back next week. I just can't have the Advent time and Christmas season without some music. I mean, it's hard enough not being here in the building with y'all, our church family. And we want to just, uh, we want to put a little bit of music together and, uh, and, and help you be encouraged through the ministry of our worship team here. So worship team, if you're watching, if you're tuned in, you'll be hearing from me this week. And maybe we'll get a practice together and we'll, uh, we'll bring back some music next week. We'll slowly bring it back in so that everyone is, is distanced and safe and all of that. But uh, be watching for that next week for sure. But our first message in our Advent series uh, is the week of hope. And for those of us who didn't grow up in church like me, uh, first of all, you might say, Preacher, what is Advent? We don't even know what Advent is. That's sort of a strange word, Advent. I mean, we don't use that word in our, in our daily, everyday life other than in church, right? Advent. I mean, I, I, what is that? Is that if you're not getting enough air conditioning or heat in your car, you want to get a little bit more, so you add a vent? So you, I, that was, I know, I know it was bad. I have, a, uh, like I said, skeleton crew here helping me get this thing online, and they're all giving me the boo. That was a terrible dad joke. I get it. But no, what, 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 what is Advent? Advent actually is a Latin word um, that means coming or arrival. And it's this idea of an anticipation of something that's on its way or coming or arriving. And for centuries, Christians have been taking the month that leads up to Christmas just to observe this season that we have called Advent. To celebrate the the fact that on the first Christmas, Messiah came. He arrived. And so what Christians for centuries have done is actually during the weeks that lead up to Christmas, they've pressed in for a time and just to receive a few different ideas or a few different gifts that they would be made aware of that Messiah brought when He came. Things like joy, love, peace, and hope. And that's what we're doing in this series. So today we're going to talk about a word that you see everywhere during this Christmas season. You see it on Christmas cards. You see it stamped on Christmas ornaments, homemade ornaments that were made. Maybe someone that that loves you. They're right there on the ornaments. A little little word called hope. And you see it maybe on, 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 on storefront windows. And it's a word that's very common to this season for all of us. And it's this word hope. This idea of hope. Now, whether you realize it or not, you and I, we're all already hardwired for hope. It's just how God created us. He made us in His image, and as the writer of Ecclesiastes said, He placed eternity in our hearts. And what those things mean is that God designed us with what C.S. Lewis called a God-sized void or hole in our hearts that only God can satisfy. I always pictured that as kind of a, 
a puzzle piece in our heart that's missing. And the only piece that would fit is the God-shaped piece that would go into that piece on your heart. And only He alone can satisfy this hope that's missing, that we long for. We're hardwired for hope. And that means every minute of every day, what you and I do in every way, we engage. We're engaging with this, this sort of attitude or motivation of hope every single day, whether you know it or not. Your relationships are all motivated by hope. The highest moments that you've ever experienced in this life are moments in some ways when your hopes were fulfilled, right? Your lowest lows in this world are moments in many ways where your hopes were dashed. So we're hardwired for hope all the time. And we're always looking for something to attach the hope of our hearts to. I mean, you see it in the way we speak. If you look hard enough, you'll find it in our everyday language. Because we'll say things like, man, I hope it doesn't rain today. Or, or I hope I can find a parking spot. Or I hope that it snows this Christmas. Or I hope that my team has a winning season. Dallas Cowboys fans, I'm sorry. That's, that's, a, that's a far off hope this year, I know. I hope I never have to watch another Hallmark movie as long as I live and all the men watching said, Amen. <laughs> or something more serious even, you know. You might be hoping this season that you can make it financially. Or you hope that this COVID situation that we're in is over soon. We're all looking for something to attach the hope of our lives to. And so very simply today, I want to ask one question. Where do you place your hope? Where do you place your hope? Like when things get really tough in life, when it's hard, when your story doesn't turn out quite the way you thought that it would. When, when life gets difficult, when suffering arrives, where are you placing your hope? So to help us answer that question, I want to turn to the Scriptures. And if you would, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. And if you remember, as you're getting to 1 Peter, uh, we just ended a series called Uncommon. And I pray that that series was a blessing to you, how we're called to be not of this world. We are not permanent citizens of this world. We are just passing through. Remember that? And so the scripture we were looking at in Uncommon was First Peter. So I was thinking that this message could sort of be a transition message between Uncommon and this new message for Advent. So we could almost call it Uncommon Hope. So if you have your Bibles or your app or however you get there, go to First Peter chapter 1. And, and Peter is going to help us answer this question, where do you place your hope? And, and, and remember, Peter was writing this book to the first Christians, and Peter wrote to those Christians, and, and they were a, a, a persecuted people. Remember, by Nero, Nero was that evil leader who would burn Christians like candles, and we, we covered all that. But these people, this group of people, if we could say there were a people group in history that needed some hope to anchor their lives to, it would be these persecuted Christians. And that would be a massive understatement that they needed a little bit of hope. These people were looking for something to attach the hope of their lives to. They were in desperate need of hope. And maybe today you're joining us online this morning. And believe me, you're not hearing this message by accident today. God has a purpose for you joining us online this morning. 
He orchestrates time and space, and He has you watching and tuned in for a specific reason this morning. And, and this morning you find yourself in desperate need of hope. Because maybe, maybe things are hanging on in your marriage by a thread. And you go, man, I don't know what else to do. And I've heard that the church might be something I can turn to or something that I could, I could, they could maybe help. So I'm watching and listening today. And I'm looking for that shred of hope that my marriage can hold on through all of this. And maybe today you're, you're looking at your financial situation. You know, there's, there's a whole lot more month at the end of the money. And you know, Christmas is coming and something has to change. And you don't have much hope right now. And you just feel like you need some hope. You need that hope. And maybe that's why you're here this morning. Maybe you've been to the doctor recently and the doctor gave you news that you really didn't want to hear. And you found yourself watching and joining us this morning and you say, I don't know what else to do. I just need hope. Maybe you're struggling this morning with some sort of an addiction and you're just looking for hope. You're sick of it. You're sick of being bound by whatever that is. You just need hope. Or maybe like a lot of us, you're just exhausted in this season. You're just exhausted. You're just sick and tired of being sick and tired. And you're looking for a little bit of hope this morning. Folks, you're not unlike these early Christians that are in desperate need of hope to anchor their hearts to. And if that's you today, what I want to do is I want to allow the Word of God to speak a message of hope to you. The most important things that we will say here today is not something that I will say. The most important words you will hear come directly from the Word of God. And so if you're here in desperate need of hope today, I want to allow these words in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 specifically to just wash over you this morning. Refresh your soul so that you might find the words of hope in first peter first peter chapter 1 and verse 3 we're going to look at what it says if y'all were here i would say if everybody's there say amen but there aren't too many here so just put it in the comments amen amen i love seeing those reactions in the comments down below amen 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 a little bit of encouragement like i say always when this room's full of people it's lonely up here you think it's lonely up here when this room is full of people it's really lonely up here today so a preach it pastor or amen or something like that would be great let the wild hogs eat whatever you whatever you, you normally chime in from the from the from the chairs put that in the comments this morning as we turn to first peter 1 Peter chapter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He caused us to be born again to a living hope. To a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now what Peter is doing here, he's saying, listen... You guys who are needing hope right now, you early Christians he's writing to who are needing hope, I know it's hard to see right now. I know it's hard to feel hope right now. but it, And it's really difficult to feel the weight of hope coming down right now. But Peter says, what I want you to know is that your hope is not some conceptual idea passed down through thousands of years. It's not some ethereal, ideological hope. 
Your hope is not, listen church, and he says to you this morning, your hope is not in a situation. Your hope is not in your present situation. Your hope is not in experience. It's not in a circumstance. Your hope this morning, if you are a Christian, is in a living, breathing person, and his name is Jesus. Hope has a name this morning, church, and his name is Jesus. And that's what we celebrate. We celebrate hope during the Advent season. Jesus, who is a living, breathing hope, born in a manger, the same one, born in Bethlehem, that's who Peter is pointing us to. And I want you to remember that the, really the story of the birth and life of Jesus the story of Christmas is really a story of hope. It begins there. And if you think about it, Christmas is a story that can be structured possibly with three points, convenient for the preacher. Christmas is a story that can be structured in three ways. It's, it's hope created, hope lost, and then hope restored. And think of this as sort of an outline of what we celebrate when we celebrate Christmas. Hope created, hope lost, and then, praise God, hope restored. So walk with me through this. So God created everything to work in perfect harmony. We see that in the first two chapters of the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. It's hope created. Everything was as it's supposed to be, right? Man and God walking in the cool of the day together, us experiencing the complete fulfillment of, of what we were created for, walking with God, having that void in our hearts that C.S. Lewis wrote about, completely filled with the presence of God. Hope created. And that lasted all of two chapters. Two chapters in the Bible. And Genesis chapter 3, a story of, you see the story of hope lost. Sin enters the world and everything in the cosmos and in our hearts on every level is fractured. And now the beautiful, synchronized, melodious picture of what God created everything to be and, and the rhythmic way He created everything to work, it still works in some ways, but it's fractured, it's broken. And hope is lost because our relationship with God is fractured. And then what I love about Genesis chapter 3 is not the picture of sin that you see at the beginning of Genesis 3, which in your Bible there will be a heading that will probably say uh, the fall of man at the beginning of chapter 3. But that's not what I love about Genesis chapter 3. What I love about chapter 3 is about halfway through, specifically right about verse 15, you see God immediately after hope is lost break in on the scene and God himself declares a message of hope restored. God himself declares the message that hope is coming. Look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. He says this, and this is what theologians for centuries have called the proto-evangelion. Now that is the word of the week. Use that this week in, in your comings and your goings at the grocery store. or Well, you're not supposed to be going anywhere. When you're shopping online and you're chatting with the person, use that word. Have you heard of the proto-evangelion? That's just a Latin word that means the first gospel. And, and, and I love it because what God is doing is He Himself is preaching the first message of hope restored. The first gospel. Look at what God says. He says, 
talking to the enemy here. He says in 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring, and here's the really important part, and her offspring. And her offspring will bruise your head and shall bruise, and you shall bruise his heel. Now notice the gospel in this. This is the first gospel. What God is saying, there will be a woman who will give birth to a son, and what he will do is he will come along and he will fix it. He will destroy you, enemy. And, and what he says is the enemy, he will fix the hope that was lost. He'll fix everything that was broken and fractured in the fall event at the, the heading of your, your chapter 3, the fall of man. So this, this one will be born and he will come and he will fix everything. It's the picture of Jesus going to the cross to fix everything that was broken. This is the message of hope restored. And so God himself, literally, after everything breaks, in his mercy and in his love, comes onto the scene and God preaches a beautiful, glorious message of the fact that hope can be and will be restored. He says there is a hope that is coming. And you fast forward a couple thousand years, and all throughout the Old Testament, you see this foretelling of the fact that not an ethereal or conceptual hope, but a living hope, a Messiah, is coming. And you fast forward a couple thousand years, and you see one of the darkest times in history in the nation of Israel, in that Messiah is coming and is as proclaimed, announced... And we wait in anticipation for this coming of Messiah. And the prophet Isaiah, oh, and back to this scripture, uh, where it says that, that he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the fact that someone, Jesus Christ, is there's going to be injury involved. And so that's prophesied in that first gospel, the proto-evangelion that was way back in Genesis chapter 3. But fast-forwarding a few thousand years to Isaiah chapter 7, in verse, verse 14, when, when one of the most dark times in history, in the, in the, in the people of Israel's history, and when Isaiah pens these, these words, uh, this is, this is a, a hopeless time. God hasn't been heard from in a while. And the prophet Isaiah says this in chapter 7, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold the virgin... Now, God just said in chapter 3 in Genesis that a woman, but Isaiah drills down a little bit more. He gives us a little bigger picture, a better picture. And he says it's a virgin. A virgin shall, shall conceive and bear a son, a living hope, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And that just means God with us. So what Isaiah is saying is that the same thing that God said in the Proto-Evangelion, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, that a hope is coming. 700 years before Jesus was born in a manger in Bethlehem, 700 years, we talk about these clips of time in the Scriptures, but think about 700 years. Before Jesus was born in the manger in Bethlehem, the prophet Isaiah writes, hope is coming. Not a conceptual hope, not something that we just kind of, well, I hope it rain, doesn't rain. But this is a living hope, a person. God is coming, wrapping himself in human flesh. God with us. Living hope is on its way. It's coming. And all throughout the Old Testament, 
There are literally 300, scholars say, 324 prophecies in the Old Testament pointing to the fact that living hope, Jesus, Messiah, God in Abad, is coming to rescue us. And no one laughed. One, I got one out of three that laughed here. God in Abad is coming to rescue us, to restore hope. They're foretelling the arrival of Jesus. And for centuries, theologians have called all of those prophecies, 324 of them, the messianic hope. The hope of the Messiah. Now just for a little context here, and what theologians have pointed out is that the probability of one person fulfilling just eight, eight of those prophecies, just eight of the 324 prophecies foretelling Jesus' arrival, the probability of one person fulfilling only eight of those, here's a big number, is one with 17 zeros behind it, one in a really big, huge number, that that could even happen. And I'll give you a little context, a a little analogy. Like I said, I have a a couple of guys here with me this morning helping me run the live stream, and that's, that's all that's here. So I can only pick on one of three people. So I'm going to choose one this morning. Let's say I have a silver dollar that I borrowed from RP3. Now RP3 is our live stream producer, and he's here in the house. Shout out. Now RP3 gives me this, this, this silver dollar. And imagine I were to take this silver dollar, and I were to write RP3's initial, initials on that silver dollar. And then I were to have somebody bring dump truck load after dump truck load after dump truck load of silver dollars that would fill up the entire state of Texas. From border to border to border to border. Two feet high of silver dollars. And then I would take this particular silver dollar and I would fling it from space and have it land in that pile. And then if I were to say that maybe I would I would grab Bob, our youth pastor here at GSN, and I would say, hey, Pastor Bob, I need you to go to Texas and I need you to find that silver dollar with RP3's initials on it. The likelihood that Pastor Bob would find that in a massive sea of silver dollars the one with RP3's initials on it, is the same probability of one person fulfilling just eight of the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament. But our living hope, Jesus Christ, fulfilled all 324 of those Old Testament prophecies. So the story of Christmas, folks, the story of Advent season, the weeks leading up to Christmas, is not the lights, It's not the gifts. It's not the decorations. It's definitely not Hallmark movies, praise the name of Jesus. It's not any of those. It's not Red Rider BB guns. The story of Christmas is how God, against incredible odds, orchestrated an unbelievably epic rescue mission of restoring hope for you and for me. That in that manger in Bethlehem, hope, Living, breathing hope was born. That is worth celebrating. That's why we as Christians get excited 
this time of year. But I still want to look back in the passage because now what, what Peter does, he gets really practical with us. He established the hope that we can anchor our hearts to. But then if you look back at the passage in verse 3, what you'll see at the end of verse 3 and then into verse 4, you'll see him getting super practical and, and bring this really close to home. Peter says, look what he says. He says, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? And he says that we, we have that possibility through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance... To an inheritance, he says, that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now, what, what's Peter doing right here? He's pointing out, really exposing, the propensity of our hearts to anchor ourselves in a hope that is the opposite of these two words that are highlighted. And he's exposing the propensity of our hearts to, of our hearts to anchor ourselves in hopes that are perishable and fading, things that will expire and things that will fade away. And whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or whether you're just kind of kicking the tires of this whole God thing, trying to figure this whole thing out, the gravitational pull of every single one of our hearts is to anchor ourselves in a hope, to a hope, that's perishable and fading. Rather than the hope we've been created to anchor our hearts to. I was thinking about that this week and I heard someone say one time that we can grab all the trophies that this world has to offer and yet we'll lay in the coffin empty-handed one day. And some of us are anchoring our hope in, man, if we could just get to this level of salary, if we could just get to this, this level of, of, of achievement uh, uh, as far as my career goes, if I can just get to this level of financial security, then finally that hope that's in my heart will be fulfilled. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with having financial security. No, but financial security alone will not fulfill the longing for hope that God has placed inside your heart. And so we anchor our hope sometimes in, in accomplishments, right? You think about life, and, and if, you're, if you're a student, you think, oh, man, if I could just get into this one college, and if I graduate from college, maybe I can get that good job and I can, I can climb the ladder, you know, and get, get up to that corner office. And, and, but whatever it is for you, whatever you, you anchor your hope in, if I could just get to that, then I'll, be, then I'll be content. Then my hope will be fulfilled. And I want to tell you, church, that hope is not found in things that are perishable and fading. Many of you know the actor... Jim Carrey, right? And, and I'm not going to say the great theologian, but the actor Jim Carrey. You all know, if you've been around maybe 15, 20 years ago, he was one of the hottest sought-after actors in the comedy world and all of Hollywood. Anybody filming a movie, remember, about 15, 20 years ago, Jim Carrey was in everything. And if, if the movie wanted him and they could afford him, he was highly sought after. And so he had great success. He was quoted one time in saying this, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that that's not the answer. So what was Jim Carrey saying? He's saying that I've anchored my hope in accomplishments and it doesn't fulfill. He doesn't even know that he's saying exactly what Peter is trying to convince us of this morning. That that search for longing and finding hope in accomplishments, it just doesn't work it's a self-perpetuating cycle that will never end and some of you are putting your hope in your accomplishments 
Some of you are putting your hope in, in appearances. Well, what can I, what can I put out there? What, what do people see? And, and people put on social media the things that they want to see. You know that, you know when you're looking at someone's social media, right? And you compare your life to what you see people putting on social media. You're comparing your everyday to their highlight reel, right? They're showing you what they want you to see. And I promise you, if you're just trying on appearance alone, uh, uh, trying to impress anyone, that will let you down. I promise you. And that's where you're finding your hope, and that's where you're trying to find your hope this morning. Some of you are trying to find your hope in a relationship. You think, oh man, if I can just get... If, I, if she will just love me this way, then finally, or if, or if he would just get, if I could just get him to turn around and treat me this way and love me like I see the person down the street or on social media loving their spouse. Oh, if I could just have that. God has not designed another person on this earth to fulfill the longing that he has placed in your heart that only he can fulfill. Peter's saying you can't anchor yourself in something that's perishable or that's fading. It doesn't work. Some of you anchor your hope in, in, in things you do in trying to do more. Some of you anchor, anchor your hope in, in, oh, I'll just do more things at the church. Or, or you anchor your hope in a church or even this church. And this is really appropriate for us here in 2020. Hear me this morning, church. If you're anchoring your hope, if you're looking for hope in the, in the church or in a preacher or in someone other than God Himself, humans are fallible. We'll let you down. God has designed the church not to be your hope, but to be a signpost pointing you toward the living hope that is Jesus Christ. I hope this is getting across to you this morning, church, as you're watching this morning. Putting your hope in anything beside Jesus is pointless. It will perish. It will fade. And if you're looking for hope, this church will be all about pointing you toward the living hope, which is Jesus Christ. Peter says that Jesus, our living hope, See, if I was to ask you right now, are you anchoring your hope in any of these things, in something that is perishable or fading? 90% of you who have been in church or around church long enough uh, would say that you have the Sunday school answer. You say, no, pastor, not me. Uh, I, I don't anchor my hope in anything beside Jesus. You know, you give me the Sunday school answer, right? So if I asked you, what are you placing your hope in? You would probably say something like, like this, church people. Oh, pastor, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And now we'd have that Sunday school answer, but the reality is that that may be our answer as Christians, like the default answer. But what Peter is saying, he's saying you need to anchor your hope. You need to use this season of Christmas. Hear me, church. Use this Advent time, this season of Christmas, as a magnet for your soul to re-anchor your hope, to magnetize, if you will, your hope back to where it should be in the living hope of Jesus. So right now, I'll ask you the question. 
And not just the Sunday school answer, you know. I want you to actually not just give me the Sunday school pre-prepped, my hope is found in nothing, whatever answer. I want you to lift the hood of your soul and dig in a little bit and ask your soul to the core of who you are. Ask yourself, what am I placing my hope in? What am I placing my hope in? If it's not the living hope, Jesus that Christmas reminds us of and that Peter is pointing us to, then what that reveals is that your hope has become unanchored. Your hope has become untethered, unanchored. Peter says we need to have a hope that is in, in things that are imperishable, undefiled and unfading. So what is your hope in 